All right. Well, welcome to our midweek service. Uh, we're going to continue talking on about uh, change here. Uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, the correction process. Um, and this is, again, based off of uh, what we see over there where Paul had wrote to Timothy, talking about all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And we're going to kind of start wrapping some of that up here, especially as we move into through this correction part, uh, why it's important and uh, what the Lord says about it. We're going to start tonight being in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to take a look. there. There's a lot that's packed in Hebrews 12. The first few verses um, are just absolutely stuffed with practical material for any believer in any day and age. It's just, uh, it's just, uh, amazing to see all of this of, of how we go about, um, living our, our, our life based off of the example of Christ. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started and, um, hopefully be able to learn something tonight from God and, uh, His Word. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again uh, that we have this time and opportunity to be here. Thank you again that we have uh, your word that you've preserved and um, inspired for us, that uh, we can use it to to guide and direct our lives, that, Lord, we can use it to uh, be taught of you, that uh, we may know truth. Um, it's pretty clear, Lord, to us, especially as you've said it in your word, that your word is truth. That, Lord, uh, you're not going to lie to us. You're going to uh, show us exactly where we need uh, to be obedient to you and uh, what we need to change, how we need to think. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, think on those things and we meditate uh, on these passages, Lord, that you would just continue to use what you give us uh, in a way that the Holy Spirit would uh, show us where we need to be more Christ-like and where we need to be more in line with uh, your path, your will, and your way, and uh, following uh, after and walking in the Spirit. I pray, Lord, you just be with me tonight and speak through me, that this time would be honoring and pleasing unto you with all that we do. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, you know, uh, for sake of time, I mean, I would love to, to read... Uh, a majority of the chapter that's here. Um, but uh, one of the things that I, I want to focus on when we're talking about correction is um, this concept of where we're identifying these faults. Uh, we, we, we seek to put that corrective uh, or excuse me, that corresponding uh, action uh, that is biblical to avoid going back into sin or to avoid that repetition of faults. And that goes into the forsaking that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But in, in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 4, it says something that's very, very important. It says, ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. Um, this is a very, very important verse because it puts the, the, the context of how we to, are to, 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 if you will, fight against sin. Uh, people are always willing to fight for something. You know, uh, if somebody, an intruder breaks into your home and intends to harm your family, well, you're going to, to, to strive, you know, you know, with, with blood, you're going to resist that person unto blood. 
meaning if it, it costs your life, you're going to, to lay that down in order to protect family. Um, when we think about sin, though, we have to have that same mentality. Uh, how far would we be willing to go to strive against sin, to, to keep it at bay? And we've talked about this when we talk about that uh, um, phrase, radical amputation. You know, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Your eye offends you, pluck it out. Um, and, and again, looking at that concept and saying, I have to be willing to go far enough that, that, that I would be willing to do the, what some people would consider unreasonable. What I would consider unreasonable. Now again, nobody's saying chop your hand off and pop your eye out, but what I'm saying is, is we go to a point of where, you know, we say, oh, well, uh, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. We have to go beyond that line, especially if it's going to be involving sin. We have to say, I want to strive against it with everything that I have in such a way that it's not going to come back. And we, we go down through here in verse 5. It says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deal with you as a son. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore, whereof are, uh, whereof are all partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. And furthermore, we have had, uh, our fathers, uh, flesh of our fathers, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not much be rather in subjection unto the Father of Spirits and live? For verily, uh, for they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. So what he's talking about here is this idea of correction. And people people don't like to be corrected. They just don't. Uh, you try to correct somebody uh, that you have absolutely no content, you know, uh, um, uh, no no connection with. Uh, that person's probably going to just be like, yeah, whatever, mind your own business, type situation. Uh, you know, people don't want to receive that correction. When it comes to the correction of the Lord, people would often think that they would receive it, but we take a look at the nation of Israel and their pattern of how they rejected it. Well, we do the same thing. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves into thinking that, that Israel was more wicked than we are, you know. Um, as Paul said, take heed lest ye fall. So we, we, we should keep that in mind. We should keep that, that concept in place, especially when we sit here and look at it and go, well, our parents corrected us. Why wouldn't we listen to the correction of God? And there's a problem. If we're not willing to listen to the correction of parents, then there's a problem. If a person is not willing to listen to the correction of parents, they're not going to be willing to listen to the correction of the Lord. It's just that simple because they don't respect authority the way that God does, the way that God puts it in place, and the way that God has put it there. But what we find here is that we find that he says, look, you know, it's going to seem like it's bad, 
But the end result of correction, and this is what I want to focus on, the end result of the correction is that it produces profitable fruit. It produces profitable fruit. Correction that does not produce fruit is not, is not, is not complete. It's missing something. The idea behind it is, is that it's supposed to correct in such a way that it, here, as it says in verse 11, nevertheless afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That correction should yield righteousness. It's not to be corrected and then you go right back to it. That's not, it's not the same. That's not how it works. We, we, we're supposed to be corrected in such a way that there is a, when we're yielded to the spirit, when we're having the word of God uh, address us accordingly and, and having the word of God in the correction action process, when that occurs, then we're supposed to have this idea and this concept of, oh man, I need to be yielded unto righteousness and I need to do that. And it begins to produce that right kind of fruit, the right way that God desires it. When we take a look at these, these, uh, these, these passages, we have to come to this understanding that we have to be willing to be subject to correction. And, and I'll tell you this, some of the hardest words in, in, in the Bible that a lot of people have issues with are those words, obedience, subjection, and submission. And the reason why is because all of those directly attack the major sin in everybody's life. And that's pride. That's pride. And, and, and we, we have to understand that, that when, when we are unwilling to do those things according to the word of God, the way that he tells us to, that that's because of something that's in us that says, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's right. But God's teaching us and saying, if you do it, it's going to yield a fruit that is not like the other fruit that is being yielded in sin, which is corrupt, which is bad, which is not good for anybody. So when we get to this process where we go through this correction, we begin to see that there's supposed to be a, a, a real change, as he talks about here in verse 11, there has to come to this understanding that we have to forsake sin. In the correction process, we have to forsake sin. And what that means is that we are to turn away from it. Now, now, obviously, we talk about that in the form of repentance, but forsaking is a little bit more than that. It's more than just the turning. It's, it's about departing. It's about rejecting it. It's about withdrawing, leaving, to quit it entirely. That's what forsaking is about. Turn over to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. <clears throat> and, and, and many times this is the situation, you know, going back to, to uh, Hebrews uh, um, 12, 4, where he's talking about, you know, you haven't resisted unto blood, meaning that, that you just haven't put in enough effort. And people are like, well, it's impossible to do that. Well, we just haven't tried hard enough. We haven't used the tools that God gave us. You know, if you're trying to, to, um, you know, 
just just random, absolutely, completely random. Let's say you decided one day you want to go out there and take a big giant piece of wood and carve a bear out of it with a chainsaw. But you don't have a chainsaw. So instead you go out there with a pocket knife. Yeah, probably about an hour into it when you think maybe you've got part of the bark removed, you're done. Your your blade is dull, your your hand hurts. It, why? Because you didn't have the right tool. You become frustrated and you walk away from it. And a lot of times that's what happens with correction. That's what happens with change. Is it's the right tools are not being used to accomplish what God has intended for us to accomplish. In, uh, in Joshua chapter 24, in here he says in uh, verse 20, he says, If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after he have done, after he have done you good. Now, I, I want to bring this verse up because, again, there's this concept of, you know, what we talk about when we're talking about forsaking. Now, when, when we look at forsaking God, we see that there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be a hurt. Joshua reminds the nation of Israel, says, God has always been good to you. Why in the world would you want to turn your back on him? Why in the world would you want to walk away and depart from him, reject him, and if you will, quit God? That's not the right thing to do. We don't ever want to do that. But often is the case, we get to that point when we're frustrated. We don't think God's going to help us. Because again, we're not using the right tools. We're not using what God has given us in Scripture. We're not using prayer. We're not using the body of Christ the way that he's intended it. Take a look at another passage. Go over to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. There has to be this mindset that sin, that you got to flee it. The Joseph mentality. The, the, the fleeing Potiphar's wife. Uh, the, the Timothy principle, where Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful lusts. Those are the things that we need to, 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 to if you will, depart from. Depart from iniquity. So what we see here in Psalm chapter 37, and take a look down here at uh, verse 8, he says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Here he is talking about something that we need to set aside. Wrath. It has to be forsaken. Somebody that has an anger management issue, let's just call it what it is, they're using anger sinfully, this verse is for them. They have to learn to forsake it. Well, it just gets, I think just get me so riled up. Well, then you need not get riled up. We need to use the word of God to, to show that it is a thought process. It's a thought issue that we have to bring those things into captivity. We have to understand there's certain things that we can control. There's certain things that we can't control. And there's certain things that we're going to really have to trust God on. So is it good to be angry at sin? Absolutely. Can you be angry at a person and not sin? Absolutely. Can you, can you have anger over a situation that has occurred and not sin? Absolutely. Remembering this, that with anger, and when that anger begins to, if you will, boil inside of us, what do we do? We turn and we say, God, I need your help with this. 
God, I need to go to your scripture. God, I need to know how to handle this situation. God, I need to know what I'm supposed to say. I need to know what I'm supposed to do. I need to know if this is something that I need to let go or if it's something that I need to specifically address. Anger is a, is a problem solver. That's the problem that people have is they don't use anger to solve problems. They use anger to create more problems. And it just cascades into more and more and more and more issues. And here he is, though, he's saying forsake wrath. This is the point where the anger has gotten so bad that now the person is, is beginning to get wrathful. You know, vengeance, the real wrong thoughts start showing up. Thoughts of violence, harm, hurt, uh, desires to, to do things that are outside of, uh, uh, things that are pleasing unto God, all of those things. Now again, not all wrath is bad because God gets wrathful. We've all heard about the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is justified. And when it comes to anger, one of the key things that we have to do is we have to sit down and ask ourselves, is the anger justified? Do us thou will to be angry? We have to ask that question. Then we sit down and we say, we get more personal and say, do us thou will to be angry for, and we insert whatever. With Jonah, it was the gourd. Do us thou will to be angry for I-5 traffic? No. Because <laughs> it's always like that. Can I change it? No. Should I have left earlier? Yeah. <laughs> Should I have planned? Yeah. You know, I, and I get it. You know, things happen. Couldn't control. Some guy drove like a jerk, got into an accident, blocked five lanes of the traffic. Well, okay, well, there's not much you can do about it. Just sit back, relax. Take time to pray. Turn your car off. Sit and read the Bible. Take a nap on the free. No, don't take a nap on the freeway. <laughs> you understand what I mean? If you got one of the Tesla cars, I would sit. No, I would need. Still, wouldn't even suggest that. But here, here's the issue: when we do those type of things, it causes us fretting, where we're just sitting there and we're just pulling it apart and we're breaking it down into all the little strands and we're making it as unusable as humanly possible. And he says, "Fret not thyself to do in any wise to do evil." Because when anger is used inappropriately and wrath follows in a way that it is not justified, the end result is is we are going to harm someone or something or ourselves. So we have to forsake some things. We have to say, wrath? No. I'm going to depart from it. As soon as it shows up in in, in our mindset, we withdraw from it. We just withdraw, reject it, say, no, that's not going to occur. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter, oh, let's start with Proverbs chapter 9. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 9. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 9, and let's see here. Verse 6. Proverbs 9, 6. six. It says, Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Forsake the foolish. Now again, I've always given this uh, um, kind of as a definition of what a fool is. Fool has said in his heart there is no God. 
Now, a believer can behave like a fool, meaning that they disregard God, they disregard his word, they disregard uh, listening to the Holy Spirit, they disregard conviction, they disregard those things. And they can act like a fool. They can lift themselves up and think that they know more or they, they think they know the right way without correcting God, but professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. But what we find here is he says, forsake the foolish. So that means any thought that arises to which God is not a party, it should be rejected. Every single day I'm writing agreements, I'm checking agreements, I'm working on executing agreements. And every single day I look at those lines and I read those lines about the parties to the agreement. And typically it's between uh, anywhere from two to three parties in an agreement. Uh, you know, if it's a corporate entity, then we've got a larger one uh, that's involved in it. Um, but, but, but generally it's between two parties. It's between somebody that is providing a service and somebody that wants to receive a service or a product for that matter. And those parties have come to an agreement that they're going to abide by certain obligations, certain responsibilities, certain requirements, and they're both agreed to certain provisions that they're going to do to make sure that the agreement is going to work. That the agreement is going to be something that is mutually beneficial for both parties. Somebody gets paid, they get the services that they need. And when I think about that, I think about the, this, this, you know, specifically in this issue with verse, uh, verse six, if somebody sits there and thinks, oh man, you know, I'm going to do this and, and I'm going to go this direction and it's a sinful path. And somebody says, ah, no, 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 hold on a second. That's not the will of God. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. God's not going to be pleased. If somebody says that, there should be, a, 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 if you will, a, a hard stop to say, wait a second. Have I involved God in this? Is he party to this? Is he aware of what's going on? Does he know my intents? Does he know my desires? What am I doing here? What is going to be the, 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 the mutually beneficial product? Is it profitable? Or am I engaging in something that's going to be harmful? So it comes to a point of where God's saying, you have to forsake the foolish. And again, to exclude God from our mindset is one of the most sinful things that we can do. We're rejecting God. We don't want to do exactly what Joshua was saying over there to do. God's been so good to us. I mean, we've got eternal life. We've got forgiveness of sins. He gave us a Bible. He gave us a church. He gave us people that we can talk to and we can come and we can enjoy uh, the things that he's given us and the blessings that we've received over and over and over again. Why would we want to forsake him? I want to forsake anything that does not include him. And this is the concept when it comes to forsaking. Take a look at uh, Proverbs chapter 28. And I dare say this is one of the most important verses when we start talking about this. <clears throat> Here's what happens. 
<clears throat> sometimes, uh, you know, correction comes. And the correction, you know, there might be conviction. There might be a, a, uh, a type of repentance that's involved. And I'm talking about somebody that, that, that is not interested in, in making the right change here. Um, you know, what they're going to do is they're going to try they're going to try to kind of cover it up. Again, one of, one of the greatest testimonies I ever read was, uh, um, John Bunyan's, um, Grace Abounding. And, uh, it's a hard read because it's obviously written, uh, way, 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 way back when. Um, and it's, uh, it's his testimony of how he came to Christ. And he had learned so much scripture and Bible and things of that nature that he had decided he was going to fake becoming a Christian because he thought that was the best way to actually be a Christian. And he was unsaved. And the end result is he sat there and he, 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 or, you know, in, in his life and he had faked being a Christian for so long that people began to look at him and began to look at him as a man of God and use him as an example of how to do things the right way. The whole time he is being pricked in his heart of, you are not saved. You have not received Christ as your savior. You're doing this all on your own. And the end result is, is he, he, he becomes so despondent because God was not a part of it. And during this process, he's hiding every single sin. He's covering it up. Take a look at verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Now again, we're talking about over there where he says, but all scripture is profitable. Here he's saying, you're not going to prosper. You're not going to prosper. Now again, we're not talking about, you know, money and financial. But what we're talking about here is when a person decides, hey, I'm going to try to cover up my sin. I'm going to, I'm going to make it seem like I've done something. I mean, again, we're, we're always talking about cover-ups, right? We're always talking about cover-ups. Watergate. Cover-up, right? Area 51. Cover-up, right? <laughs> you know, we're always talking about stuff like that. Oh, it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up. It's a cover-up. Cover Somebody's trying to cover up something. Well, the same thing is true when we look at our Christian life. We're not going to prosper. We're not going to be successful in that change. We're, we're, we're not going to have the profitability of the Word of God to, to, to the benefit of God's glory in this. There's no prospering. He says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, and what's that word? Forsaketh them, shall have mercy. Shall have mercy. Now I'll tell you this, it, there's two parts to it. Confessing and forsaking. And we've already talked about the confession part. But the forsaking is, is where somebody is really truly saying, I, I, I quit. I'm done. I'm done. I've used the example in the case studies uh, that I've read about in counseling um, uh, uh, materials. And, and there's these, you know, the, this this husband and wife and the husband has, uh, has, has been caught in adultery. 
and the wife has just had it, and they go to the pastor of the church, and and the the husband is like, yeah, I've been caught. I don't want to lose my wife. Uh, it was wrong. Um, okay, I'm going to stop. And he's like, okay, you're going to stop. Um, give me your phone. He's like, why? Because I'm going to delete her contact from your cell phone. You have a key to her house? Yeah. Give me the key. I'll make sure it gets back to her. I'll mail it to her. Well, I can drop it by. No, you don't. Do you drive by her house? Yeah, I drive by her house every single day. I go to work, take the long route. But that's going to add 15 minutes to my commute. I don't care. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to strive against sin? Are we willing to forsake it? You know, in today's day and age, one of the, the, the most prolific sins that's out there is, is you have all sorts of just, uh, just pornographic material just available to everybody that wants to get a hold of it. Well, would people be willing to be, to forsake it? Oh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll quit it. I'll stop it. I'll stop it. I'll stop it. Okay. Why don't you just go ahead and disconnect your phone then? Well, no, I, I need my phone. I need the internet access to my phone. Do you really truly need it? How long have people survived without it? Well, in this day and age, I gotta have, well, if it's, this is becoming a problem, how much are you willing to strive? Are you willing to sell the laptop? Are you willing to cut off, uh, you know, the, 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 the internet access and the cable access? Are you willing, how far are we willing to go? But what people want to do is they just say, ah, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm willing to, you know, I want to quit it, but you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw a blanket over it. And if the blanket's over it, then nobody's gonna notice. If I lift up the rug and sweep all the dog hair under the rug, nobody's ever gonna notice, right? Until the rug starts moving, because you accidentally swept the dog underneath there. <laughs> But, 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 you know, again, at some point in time, we, we've got to realize that all it takes is somebody to lift up the rug and go, what is that? Because the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. It has a way of coming back. It has a way of, of, of bringing shame to you. And it's the sin that brings the shame. It's the sin that brings the shame. Somebody telling you about it just brings conviction. The shame that is felt is because of what we've done. And what we see here is we see this pattern that God's talking about forsaking. I want to turn over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Isaiah 55. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 55 and... Um, <clears throat> And, uh, verse six, oh man, verse six is, you know, I keep saying this. There's so many good passages in the Bible. I say 55, six, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
Man, verse 7 just gets right to, I mean, just cuts right to it. What has to happen? The wicked has to forsake that way. You know what that means? That means you've got to change the road you're on. But it's the most convenient. Change it. Whatever path direction we're going, change it. Whichever way we're heading, change it. Because obviously it's not right. We've got to forsake it. Yeah, but I want to go over there. But is that where God wants you to be? Maybe God doesn't want you over there. Maybe he wants you over here. But God wants you in his ways and his path. And again, going back to Hebrews chapter 12, which describes Christ as our great example, did not Jesus Christ say, I am the way? The right way to do things is found in Jesus Christ. His example. And since Jesus Christ is known as the word, where do we think we're going to find the right way? In the word. So we begin to make those connections and see what God's talking about here. And he also, I, I, I love this part because again, you're always, you're always hearing me talk about Romans chapter 12, change the way we think. What does it say here? And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. What leads us into unrighteousness, trespass, transgression, iniquity, sin, error, whatever you want to call it from, uh, whichever description from the Bible you want to use, the fact is, it starts with a thought life. The thoughts in the heart. It's where it originates. And it has to be forsaken. This is Second Corinthians 10. Bringing it into captivity. What does that mean? It means that you reject it. You reject it and say, nope. Not even going to be party to that thought. I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not even going to offer it in for a drink. I'm not going to, you know, entertain it even on my lawn. I, I, I don't want any of it. And the more that you keep those things out, the less they will be intrusive. Because again, the concept is, is as you forsake, you're clinging to God. That's where the next part comes in with the instruction with righteousness. The discipleship. Discipline. The Christian life is a disciplined life. It's not casual. It's not happenstance. It's not perchance. It's purposed. It's willing. And it is very, very distinctly done for a reason to please God. So as we see this, we, we begin to realize that forsaking is an important thing. Because look, if a person fails to forsake, they're not following through with biblical correction. And, and if they don't follow through with the biblical correction, they're going to fail. They're going to fail. Why? Because the forsaking part of it is one of the most important tools that we have. It's one of the most important parts. 
if we don't forsake it, then we're still doing it wrong. We're still doing it wrong. Today, um, I, I, had, I had a free moment, and there's something that had been bugging me for a while. Um, part of our, uh, you know, our furnace system that, that has that air return grate, and uh, the the way that it was is it had these little plastic turn knobs that were supposed to go in there, and those little plastic turn knobs, well, they're plastic. And usually, what happens with plastic, it breaks. So eventually those things broke and it just got to a point of where um, I had to take screws and screw it in there. So every time I wanted to change the furnace filter, I had to bust the drill out and go up there, and, you know, and do all that and then try to hold it up there while I'm, you know, and I finally got tired of it, went to Home Depot. They had one in stock. I bought it, put the 20 by 20 in there, put, you know, took the old one down and I was getting ready to put that new one in there. And I'm looking at the screws and I noticed that the screws are these really weird they don't have a lot of depth of the 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 groove in there for that flat head, in it, but they had a they had a little, if you will, hex shape. So you know what I did? I go down to the garage, I get the right tool, I take one of the screws, I match it up to one of the little uh, sockets. I take the socket attachment, put it onto my drill, put it up there. Done. Whereas if I had sat there and mess around with it, I'm sitting there like, oh man, you know, as it keeps slipping, get more and more frustrated. Why? Because I'm not using the right tool. I'm not using the best tool for the job. And that's one of the key important things to remember is when we start realizing that we've got to use the best tool for the job. Because here's inevitably what's going to happen. Somebody's going to say, well, I didn't do all that and I made the right change. Hmm. Mm. Is that really the case? You might have been helped, but d- d- is it help that's going to get you in the long run? That's going to be, be, you know, keep you there? I'll give you an example. Somebody says, man, <clears throat> I need to lose some weight. You're like, oh, okay, well. Let's, you know, talk about eating right and caloric intake and exercise and all that and stuff. No, 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 no. That's just going to take too long. I'm just going to go ahead and start smoking. Smoking might help you lose weight. But is it the right kind of help? Or is it going to cause you more problems in the long run? See, there's help the right way and there's help the wrong way. Does it not say over and over again in the Psalms, who is our help? It's God. He's a present help in the time of need. So when we need to change, He is the right help that we need. We don't need anything else. So it means, yeah, we're going to have to forsake some things. We're going to have to, we're going to have to get rid of it. And what this means is, is that we start to set up a structure in our life. And this is where it comes into that purpose thing, you know, like, like Daniel did. We have to set up a structure to make it as difficult as possible to repeat the same sin. Does 
that it would be so hard to do that. That's striving against sin. That's striving in the right way. Because what we have to begin to do is we have to say, well, I'm purposely going to set up this structure. I'm going to let the Lord build this in such a way because he's, you know, he, he, he's, the, he's the builder here. He knows exactly. He's the architect. He's going to handle all this. We're going to put it together his way so that it, it, we avoid going down that same path. And it means that I have to purpose in my heart at the same time to deny my will and my selfish desires. I have to say, nope. You know, those are those little t-shirts that say, not today, Satan, right? And, and I understand that concept. But as I, I, I've said before, and I was actually saying before service started, uh, you know, let, let's face it. Our biggest threat is us. Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> Right? We're the ones that cause ourselves the most grief. Satan just throws a couple little things out there, and man, we just like, you know, like a catfish that hasn't eaten in 15 years. Just like, you know, go after it. But what happens here is is we have to purpose to say, no, not today, self. No, that's not what we're doing. No. We have to get into the habit of telling ourselves no. We've gotten so so much into the habit of telling ourselves, mm, okay, yeah, it's not going to hurt. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. We've got to get into that point where we're saying, nope, I'm going to deny it. I'm going to deny it. You ever been denied something? You ever been denied I think one of the first times I realized uh, uh, about how how denial can be such an impact in my life, um, it was when I was younger and I was uh, having some of the same issues that I'm having now. I was having horrible headaches and things like that. Um, and they said, well, let's go ahead and get an MRI scheduled for you. Um, uh, it, was one of, it was actually, that was my first MRI that I've ever had. Well, I was young. I didn't know much about insurance, and I didn't understand the word pre-authorization. So I went and got the MRI, and uh, um, they billed the insurance. Insurance came back and said, denied. Like, wait, I'm a poor, broke college student. What are you talking about? Denied. Denied. $941. That's what $941 was a lot of money. (laughs) Um, And I'm talking about it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money then. Uh, It's still a lot of money now. And it's a lot of money when you don't make that much. And I was just like, oh. So guess what? I learned my lesson. That pre-authorized, <laughs> I make sure I look at my insurance. I'm not going to pay that unless it, you know, I want to make sure. But, 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 but here, here is the issue. If, 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 if we don't deny 
things in such a way that says no. And I appealed to the insurance. I called. I wrote letters. And three times they said, denied, denied, denied. So guess what I did? I had to pay $941 that I really didn't have. That was hard. But when we realize that we have to be that cold and heartless and say, nope, denied, denied. Why? Because it pleases God. It pleases God when we deny ourselves. Jesus Christ denied his flesh to go on the cross. We can't deny ours when he asks us to. And it means, forsaking means that we actually have to have a break with our past practices, situations, and persons that were involved in that sin. And that's hard sometimes, isn't it? That's real hard. Because we actually have to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do this. When we have to say that to someone, that may, that may hurt them. But again, you know, we're not trying to hurt them. We're just trying to please God. We've got to keep that in mind. We've got to keep that in mind. It means we're not going to put ourselves in the situations. We're not going to put ourselves in a situation. Somebody's got a gambling addiction. Don't go to the casino. Just don't. Somebody's got an alcohol problem. They're drinking. Don't go to the bar. Don't put ourselves in the situation. Same practices that we do over and over and over and over and over again every single day. We've got to change them. Yeah, but that means it's going to take like two weeks to get that. Then it takes two weeks. But that's where the discipline comes in. That's where the instruction in righteousness comes in. As God teaches us to be his disciple, it requires discipline to continue to do that which is right. Not to, this is the horrible double negative, but not to not do those things, but to do the right things. That's the purpose. That's what discipline's about. That's what discipleship is about. Learning to do what God told us to do, to be his disciple, to follow him, to, 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 to follow after his pattern, his example, all of that. So what we begin to realize is that, that, we, that we actually have to really do a lot of purposing, a lot of, if you will, working in ourselves with, with the Holy Spirit to, to cut those things out with the Word of God, to remove them. I mean, we, we, th- there has to be a willingness to forsake. And I, and I want to emphasize this point. There has to be a willingness. If it's done out of obligation... It's just not enough. 
Forsaking means that you are willingly doing it. You're willingly doing it. Not because you have to, but because it's what you want to do because that's the will of God. The beginning of a desire change in your heart. So as we think about this and we start realizing there's more and more, we realize that there's going to be resistance. So let's take a look at a couple of things. Let's go back over to the book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13 and in... In verse 15, it says, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be some tough resistance. You know, we, we, we have to begin to understand the concept that what we were doing was harder than what we're doing now. the problem is we, we, we often look at sin as it was the easiest thing to do. But God just said the way of transgressors is hard. It's easier to do right. It's easier to do right. Comes down to the choice, right? Are we going to choose to do what is right or are we going to choose to do what is wrong? And if we've gotten into the pattern of where we just continue to choose that which is wrong, we're going to say, well, it's too hard to go back to and change what is right. But that's not what God says. God says the way of the transgressor is hard. We have got to, if you will, habituate ourselves into the point of thinking, oh, man, it's so easy to follow God. It's so easy. All I have to do is trust him. Okay. All I have to do is just believe what he said. Okay. He's got this, not me. Okay. He's going to handle it. See, we've got to get ourselves into that thought process of thinking with that transformed mind. And saying, well, I, I, I need to think that way. Take a look at what it says in Proverbs 29. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 29 talks about this resistance. And here's what happens. The more that we continue to resist the forsaking, the more that we continue to resist abandoning sin, the more we can resist from uh, 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 rejecting it and leaving and withdrawing from it, the, the more we resist, here's what happens in verse 1. He that often being reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You know what happens is if you just continue into a path of sin, there's going to get to a point of where it can no longer be fixed. Now, praise God, our sin's forgiven, right? That part's fixed. But there comes to a point where, you know, as Paul said, eh, you know, maybe that guy needs to be turned over to the destruction of the flesh. 
You may be saved, yet so is by fire, but mm, maybe it's just better he's not here. Uh, That's a hard thing to say, right? But he was willing to do that. He was willing to say, that guy, he just, he's going down the satanic path. Let him choose Satan. Let, let, let him do that. He's going to destroy himself. Turn him over to it. Let him do it. Don't stand in his way. Now, praise God, that guy got, got, got his act together. But but here here's an, the important principle that we need to understand is is the more that we try to resist, the worse the situation will become. The more we try to resist, the worse the situation becomes. Why? Because we get to a point where we're just constantly doing the same thing, and eventually it's going to get to the one time that we make that choice and that decision to do what is wrong, and that's it. There's the guy that sits there, and, and he's he's desperate for money, and he's he's trying to figure out how to get money, and he, he, he starts, you know, stealing from his friends at work. He starts... Uh, you know, when, when, when they're busy, he goes out to their cars real quick and searches for cash and pockets what he can and steals from their lockers and things like that because he's so desperate for money. And then he begins to think, okay, well, I'm going to start lying and cheating on my time card or something of that nature so I can get more money. And then he gets to a point of, man, that's just not enough. It's just not enough. And then he starts realizing, hey, you know what? I can go over to that credit union over there and all I have to use is this piece of paper that's the back of my birth certificate. And uh, somebody actually did that. They wrote the the hold-up note on the back of their birth certificate. On their birth certificate. Yeah, exactly. I'm just sitting there going, well, that was an easy one to solve. Could you could you imagine being the the police officer or the FBI agent that looks at that? I'm like, let me see the note. Flips over it on the back. Huh. Bring this guy up. Bring him up. That the guy? Yeah, that's the guy. Hey, all right, great. We've got his address and everything. Go over there and knock on the door. Hey, you just robbed the bank. How did you know? Is this your birth certificate? <laughs> wow. But anyway, you know, but there therein lies the issue. Is let's say he somebody does that, they rob a bank. That's a big thing. That, that's, that's some major prison time. It's not just a slap on the wrist. I don't know. Our justice system anymore it could be. <clears throat> they're, they're talking about, uh, in, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but like in the state of Washington earlier this year, they were talking about that, oh, you know, these life sentences out there for murderers, rapists, and child molesters, that's just too long, and they could have changed by now. So if they've been in there for 15 years, we should probably just let them go. What? No! What happened to the jury system? What happened to sentencing guidelines? We just throw that all out because we think that the person's changed? Or at least I should say, hope that the person's changed? As they sit there and go, oh yeah, I've changed. 
No, you just say, yeah, I've, I've changed. I've learned a lot in here. I've learned how to not get caught. The end result is things get worse, right? Now, the family that he was trying to support, he's not there for. Kids grow up without a father for a period of time. They grow up knowing the fact that their dad robbed the bank and he was a crook. What impact is that going to have on that? Things get worse. And it's without remedy. Now, when we start taking a look at this concept, we've got to realize that forsaking is, is going to have some resistance to it. But we need to make sure that we're doing it actively, purposefully, willingly. And what's going to happen here is we're going to begin to realize that it's not a matter of deflecting it, like we were talking about, covering it up. It's not a matter of, 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 of redirecting it. I've seen people do that when they talk about anger. They're like anger management. Well, you just need to redirect your anger. You need to take it out on such and such, right? Go go, go to the gym and, and just punch that, you know, Boxing uh, uh, bag, you know, uh, as hard as you can. Just keep doing that. You know, redirect your anger and and go out there and, you know, go to the gun range. Unload, you know, those illegal 30-round magazines. Um, (laughs) You know, whatever it is. Go out there and just smack that golf ball as hard as you can, right? You know what happens with that? Is you begin to teach somebody to do it the foolish way. Where's God in that? It's not a matter of deflection or redirection. It's a matter of uh, of instead learning what God's method is. What God's method is. And we're, we're getting close to the end of the time, but I want to turn back over there to Second uh, Timothy. And we're going to move into this, Lord willing, um, next week. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, All Scripture, in verse 16, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, which we've just finished. And now we're moving into this instruction of, in righteousness. This means we have to be a disciple. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is a learner and a follower. A disciple is a learner and a follower. In this day and age, a lot of people heap disciples unto themselves. And as, as, as God points out with the Pharisees, you know, as they so go, go out there and try to get disciples for themselves, they, they take that person and they make them worse than what they were before. And that's generally what happens when people try to make disciples unto men. But when we start realizing that there's discipleship under God, learning the right way, discipleship under Christ, learning what Christ's actions, words, deeds, intent, and will is, then we begin to learn that process of how to be a disciple. And the the key part, the key root word of the word discipline is disciple. 
Now, that's important for us to understand because when we think about discipline, we automatically think about, you know, something harsh. But discipline is something that you're committing yourself to. Discipline is something where you're committing yourself to following. It's part of the purposing. And it is a willing desire to know the truth. It's what a real disciple is. Now look, there you can have a disciple of all sorts of other things out there that are not godly. But what we talk about when we're talking about discipleship, disciples, and discipline, we're talking about it the godly way. Not any other way other than with the Lord. So, in order to ensure that that change is going to be permanent, then we need to be active in the discipleship. We need to be active following. We need to be active in exercising it. And we need to be active in exercising personal discipline in our own lives. We reach for something that we're not supposed to. We're the one that goes, nope, don't reach for that. We're reaching for this. Personal discipline. To the point of where we start doing this, instead of grabbing it, we start going, not. And then pretty soon we get to the point of where instead of going for this, we just immediately go for this all the time. That's what the discipline's about. We'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer, and we'll conclude for tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you teach us through your word. Pray, Lord, that as we continue to collect all of these things, and Lord, begin to see your pattern for our life, the way, the path, all of these things that you put together so that we can please you and honor you, give you glory for all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that we would just take these things and heed them in our lives. The Lord, it wouldn't just be something that we heard, but Lord, it would be something that convicts us and something that we do, something that we follow through with, day after day after day after day. Thank you again, Lord, for the time that we've had. Thank you again for those that are here. Keep us safe as we go home. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.